0: Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Malachim Bet, Peret Gimel, Chapter 3. Chapter 3 tells us of a war in which the King of Israel, the King of Judah, and the Kingdom of Edom All go to war against Moav. A little bit of the background. We're already told in Malachim Bet, chapter 1, verse 1, that Moab had been a colony of the Northern Kingdom, and after Ahab's death, they had rebelled. They had rebelled against the Northern Kingdom, and that's uh, repeated in verse 5. And now, Melech Yisrael, whose name is Yehoram, joins with Yehoshaphat and Edom, and they engage in a campaign to regain the colony of Moab. At this point, they all march in war, and they go a rather strange route. They go through the uh, south of the Dead Sea. They travel south, and maybe this explains picking Israel traveling south with Yehuda joining with Edom and they want to attack from the south of the Dead Sea uh, to attack Moab from the south. The problem is that they run out of water. Uh, It would seem to be a a ridiculous logistical mistake if you're marching an entire army to attack. The one thing you take care of is to make sure you had water. Uh, For whatever reason, they make an error, and there is no water where they expect it to be. And it's at this point that they discover that Elisha, is 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 amongst the troops the prophet Elisha and the kings turn to him and say could you help us and at that point Elisha delivers an incredible prophecy that you'll see no wind you'll see no rain however the nachal the wadi will fill up with water and you'll be able to drink you and all of your flocks all of your all of your animals and more than that he says, you will destroy all of the fortified cities, and this is what you must do. call eight. you must uh, knock down every good tree and destroy every um every spring of water. and any field that you see, you should totally destroy it by covering it with stones. And so it was, there's a tremendous uh, uh, miracle, and in the morning they find themselves with water. Moav see the water, and they think that uh, for whatever reason it's blood, probably because the Edom mountains are red and the morning sun reflecting on the red mountains makes it look like there are pools of blood. They say, oh, there must have been fighting within the coalition. Israel fighting Judah, fighting Edom. And they advance, not realizing that the, the attacking force is ready for them. And Israel have a phenomenal victory. The only problem being some sort of a mess up at the end. The last two verses of the Perak are very, very enigmatic. That's a summary of what we see in the chapter. But here are some questions. Number one. How can it be that they, they run out of water? Why did they go that strange route that they take south of the Dead Sea? If they'd go north of the Dead Sea, that route has plenty of uh, sources of water and they wouldn't have gone into nearly so much trouble. And and a second question, which is, we have a law in the Torah in Sefer Tevarim that you're not allowed to destroy any good trees. You're not, baltashchit. you're not allowed to take out your fury on the landscape, on the ecology, but in here, going against the Halakha, it tells us, uh, Why would the Torah tell us, or why would Elisha instruct, in this particular instance, that we destroy the landscape, which seems to go against the ethics of the Torah? So this all comes into amazing focus with what is one of the most remarkable archaeological finds. In 1868, a Prussian missionary named Frederick Klein found this remarkable artifact. It was a smashed basalt monument, four feet in height, and inscribed with 33 lines of text. Um, It now sits in the Louvre in Paris, and it's called the Mesha Stella. And what's remarkable about it is that it records the Re- revolt by Moab against the dynasty of Achav, the king of Israel. And of course, he att- attributes his triumph to his god, Kamosh. And it's a really remarkable piece of textual evidence because it corroborates the Tanakh phenomenally strongly. It mentions the name Mesha, it mentions the name Achav, and also mentions HaKadosh Baruch's name, yud And it tells us how Moab in a sort of revolution which was quite ferocious um attack israelite towns and villages and kill the inhabitants and humiliate hashem here's a quote i fought against the city of atarot and captured it i killed all the people as a sacrifice for kimosh and for moab this is mesha the king of moab speaking and Kamosh said to, came to me and said, go take Navar against Israel. And I went in the night and I fought against it from the break of day until noon. And I took it and I killed all 700, 7,000 men. But I did not kill the women and uh, and maidens, for I devoted them to Ashtar, to Kamosh. And I took from it the vessels of yud and offered them before Kamosh. In other words, what we really have here is that after Ahab's death and during Ahaziah's reign, Mesha staged an incredible rebellion against Israel, as recorded in this stela, and it was characterized by widespread slaughter of Jews living in the Transjordan and the ridicule of the God of Israel. And what we're reading in chapter three is Yehoram, who is launching a war to regain control. And now this puts many of the elements of the chapter into focus. First of all, number one, why does, uh, why does Yehoram not attack from the north? The answer is because that is exactly where Moab has its fortifications. All of those cities which Moab took over are in the north. If we attack from the south, from the direction of Edom, then we will encounter Moab in a defenseless front. Now maybe we also understand why Hashem wants to do a miracle for Am Yisrael. It wasn't only that the kingdom of Israel had lost one of its colonies, a source of revenue and power. It was that this entire rebellion was being done in the name of Kamosh and against the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And maybe now we also understand why there is such a, a drastic um, decree of destruction that along with God, um, Saying that he will bring water as a miracle to help these truths, we understand why Kolates Tov Tapilu, Mane Maim Tistemu, knock down all of their trees, destroy all of their springs of water, destroy all of their fields. This is a war for the honor of God. This isn't any ordinary war. This is a war to restore the reputation of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. I'll close this podcast by noting just one interesting thing here. Elisha goes to war, not in his official capacity as a prophet, but as one of the foot soldiers. And this shows Elisha's humility. It's difficult to imagine Eliyahu doing such a thing. In fact, when they depict him, they describe poor Elisha ben Shafat, asheyat maim al Eliyahu. Here is Elisha ben Shafat who poured water, who attended to Eliyahu. And it's interesting that water does seem to be a very strong theme as opposed to Eliyahu's fire. If you recall, um, in the last chapter, Elisha's first act was to heal the water at Jericho. And now he has a miracle of the water. And he's described as the attendant of Eliyahu, pouring waters on Eli- Eliyahu's hands. And it's here that the rabbis in the Talmud say that the greatest thing, the greatest relationship you can build with a rabbi is not even necessarily learning his Torah, but what we call um, helping them with their daily activities. And by this, you small little acts, you, you learn a lot about uh, the way that the rabbi or the master um, acts. And that Elisha has this sense of modesty about him, this sense of congeniality about him. He gets on with people, he has a relationship with people. Uh, we'll be following a little more about Alicia in this regard, over the next two chapters.